Well, welcome again to the Gateway Church. We're glad that you're here, and uh, we don't take it for granted. We know that there are choices, and uh, we're just thankful that you've chose to join us this morning. And uh, I believe that God has something really special for us. Uh, we're tracking through a series through 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and uh, we, we know that as we uh, track through 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 in particular, um, that uh, there are some that have said that these are some of the most difficult passages in all of Scripture uh, to try to get understanding around. And so uh, we understand that, we, we embrace that, and so I've been studying hard. I've been asking the Lord for uh, just a divine revelation. It's interesting, um, after last Sunday, we had a few questions with, uh, in concerns to the message, and uh, we were able to address some of those throughout the week, and I think that God just honors that. And I want to just challenge you that as we're tracking through, if something kind of piques your interest, or there is a question, write that down, get that to us, and we can address those things, and we can help each other continue to grow. Um, I do not believe that uh, I get all of the revelation, all right? God can speak through us, and I don't believe that uh, I always get it right either, okay? And so I know that there are challenges uh, in Scripture and interpretation, uh, but I do want to commit to you that we are, as a staff and as your pastor, we're committed to truth. We want to, uh, it to be biblical. We want to bring a relevant word every week, and uh, we're just believing that God, He honors that, and He helps us to grow. And uh, no matter what kind of background you're from, uh, this morning I want to challenge you to be open to what God wants to speak to you today. How many are willing to be open? Say, God, I want to be open. I want to hear from you today, and I want to experience everything that God has uh, for us today. And I believe that that's a God-honoring way to approach the Scripture, to approach a Sunday morning uh, church gathering, and I think that's awesome. Amen? Amen. I just want other pause. I want to uh, just acknowledge this morning uh, what we experienced in worship um, through uh, two different individuals this morning uh, is what we would consider more of a prophetic voice uh, where the Lord has spoke to the people, to the body, um, and we embrace that. We, we encourage that. And uh, really the, the challenge this morning with really the combination and how God used both individuals to bring a full word, I believe, uh, it's very important for us to be listening to that. And we're going to talk about that today a little bit and to judge that and to, uh, to say, okay, is this from the Lord? And uh, this morning it was full of scripture uh, encouraging us to to experience everything that God has for us, not to be satisfied. And uh, what's interesting is that in the process, we had two different individuals kind of speaking, in, at least from my interpretation, one single word to the body, but we see different personalities because we're human, and we're going to talk about that too. But we want to say thank you. We want to be encouraging that. We've been asking the Lord for Him to meet us on Sunday mornings and uh, really all the time through the gifts of the Spirit and uh, we know that when he does that, uh, he, it touches the hearts of the people. The people are edified, we're built up, and uh, again, we need to be judging those things. Is there comfort, encouragement? Is there strength that's brought from the Word? And this morning, I would say that yes, there was, and we believe, uh, and we want to uh, just acknowledge that this morning. Amen? All right. Well, we've been studying the communication gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Prophecy, tongues, interpretation of tongues. 
And that's where our focus is uh, this morning going to be again. But we've noticed that we've got to be careful how we communicate. There's an article that talks about the differences between men and women and how they communicate. And uh, this is what it says. It says that she says, we need, and she really means, I want. She says, go, sure, go ahead. But what she really means is, I don't want you to do that. She says the trash is full, and what she really means is take the trash out, right? She says nothing's wrong, and she really means go away. I'm still letting it brew. I'm steaming up inside. She says I am fat, and what she means is tell me I'm beautiful. She says you have, you have to learn to communicate with me, and what she really means I want you to agree with me. <laughs> she says, are you listening to me? And what she means is, you're too late, you're dead meat. <laughs> On the flip side, he will say, I am hungry. And what he really means is, give me something to eat and serve it to me on the couch. He says, it's too expensive. And what he really means is, you could get something, some sweet electronics for that same price. <laughs> He says it's a beautiful day, and some of the guys will relate to this, and what he really means is I'm going fishing or hunting or hiking or I'm going to go play some golf, right? He says I have a surprise, and what he really means is I bought you something stupid. <laughs> he says you can't, you can't mow the grass when the grass is wet. Isn't that right, guys? What he really means is there's a big game on the TV, <laughs> And we need to know how important it is to communicate. And we understand that. And we understand that as Paul is addressing these three communication gifts, specifically in the line of public worship setting in chapter 14, uh, we are learning how these gifts are to be communicated. And that's really important. Today we're going to look at the intelligibility or the understanding behind that. Next week we'll look at some guidelines, what the Bible says in regards to order within the church. And that's important. So I was asking myself, okay, how important is what we're studying? I've been studying this and really working hard, and I know some of you have been tracking along with us. We've been giving some assignments to read, 12, 13, and 14 in one sitting. Hopefully you've done that by this point. And uh, there are some people that will look at these verses and give very little importance to these particular chapters, and especially chapter 14. But I want you to know that when Paul takes three chapters worth writing to the Corinthian church, I believe it expresses God's priority in these areas of spiritual gifts and love and the, how those gifts are to be communicated. And especially for a spirit-filled church, that's part of our mission. We are a spirit-filled church committed, right, to glorifying God by connecting the people of the lakeshore with God, with each other, with the world. We welcome the gifts of the Spirit, like I was saying earlier, the moving of the Holy Spirit, and it's very important for us to understand what, how these gifts are to be communicated, and that there's criteria, and there's proper evaluation that's important. Verse 29 of chapter 14 says that two or three should speak, and we are to weigh carefully each of us. 
And sometimes from the pulpit, you, maybe you've seen this or you've heard of this, where there will be a, a word a, or a tongue interpretation, and the, from the pulpit, the person, uh, maybe the pastor, would stop someone and say, I'm sorry, that's not from the Lord, or that's not for the body this morning. And certainly that's the role uh, of the leader, the one in charge of a service, to be able to have that kind of authority to be discerning. But I also want you to know that that verse in 29, for that from your seats, right? Right from where you are, when someone ministers or is utilizing the gifts, as a believer, you should be asking yourself, is this from the Lord? Does it resonate with you? Does it line up with God's word? And if it's a prophecy, does it bring comfort and strength and encouragement like we talked last week? See, God uses people still today to communicate. Now, God's word has ultimate authority. In the prophetic, it does not have the same, the same strength, but we do believe in the prophetic. But what's interesting is that people that are well-meaning, they can be wrong or they can be off. And we understand that. And so we need to be judging. We need to be evaluating. But I want to say this, that I would rather have people developing their gifts than for people to say, no, we're not going to have any of the gifts at work. And that's my heart as a pastor. And these guidelines, these order that we'll talk about next week, and then even today, the understanding piece, they're important for us to embrace. Now, last week, we attempted to bring some definitions to tongues and interpretation of tongues and prophecy. I want to just review just a little bit. The first one is tongues. The gift of tongues is really in the public setting where someone speaks in a language that's previously unknown. And in the context of the public, where it it, uh, commands the attention of the congregation uh, or the group or the audience, then it needs an interpretation. And the Bible says that when that happens, it builds up or it edifies the church. That's tongues or the gift of tongues at its best. There's a second tongues that is referred to as the baptism in the Holy Spirit or being filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's a second work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. And, you, and I want you to know that you get the Holy Spirit when you uh, ask Jesus in your heart. The Holy Spirit resides in you. But there is a very clear, in, our, in my opinion, in, in, uh, in, the, in Pentecostal uh, understanding, a second work of the Holy Spirit that is, was, by the way, promised by Jesus that the disciples would be waiting for the gift of the Holy Spirit to come. And there's a pattern in Acts in Acts chapter 2, in Acts chapter 8, and 9, 10, and 19, that there are five different specific times where someone that had previously understood Jesus, that were following in Christ's footsteps, were asked, have you received the gift of the Holy Spirit? Or have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? And they say no. They would pray for them. They'd lay on of hands, and they would begin to speak in other tongues. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, a prayer language of sorts. Three times specifically, two times it was implied. We don't have time to look at that pattern. We do in, in uh, Connect 101, we take some time to look at that. But there's a distinct pattern and a prayer language is given. And we said last week that with that prayer language, there's benefits that you're speaking to God. You're uttering mysteries. It builds up the believer. And Paul says in verse 18 that he thanks the Lord that he does it more than anybody. And uh, we're going to look at that specifically today. 
But once a person is filled, we believe that they will speak in tongues. How will you know? They will speak in other tongues, a language that is previously unknown. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, we see again where Paul is encouraging the Ephesians church to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he's talking to a group that is already Christ followers. And so again, we see that there's this second filling, this, this uh, baptism in the Holy Spirit that's available, and we believe it's available for every single believer. But in a public setting, if it commands the attention of the assembly, and that's where some of the question came last week that, uh, that, that we wanted to clarify, tongues are not at that moment for private edification. In other words, when you come to church and if you speak out in tongues and it demands the attention of those around you or the congregation, there needs to be an interpretation. Look at verse 13. Seek to interpret when that happens. And when, that, when it is interpreted, it builds up the body. And what's interesting is that these gifts, uh, the 12 gifts that are listed or the nine gifts uh, that are in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12 and a few other places, these gifts are almost always used in conjunction with each other. And so if the Lord was to use the gift of speaking in tongues, uh, the, 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 um, the gift of tongues with interpretation of tongues, that is not uncommon that God would be using multiple gifts within the body, again, to build up the church. The third term there is prophecy, and uh, we've talked about this the last couple weeks. It's a message to the body. Uh, Verse 3 in chapter 14 says why we would want to experience that, to strengthen, encourage, and comfort, and it needs to be judged. It needs to be weighed. We believe it's a word from the Lord, a message from God, perhaps the most common scene in the pulpit where God is speaking through the minister and a, a word of truth is, it comes and it touches your heart and all of a sudden you're like, wow, that was a word straight from the Lord for me. And I know that's happened to me on many occasions and I pray that week in and week out that that is happening here at the Gateway Church. Amen? So that gives you some background. Now the background for the Corinthians, when they had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they actually, as we understand it from a historical context, they were proud of that. They were excited about that, which is normal, which is uh, absolutely normal. But then what happened, they took it a little too far. They elevated it, elevated it and uh, kind of supernaturally it said, hey, we're on the same level as the angels. And we see that in Paul's uh, sar- somewhat sarcastic uh, remark in chapter 13, verse 2, the, uh, that they are speaking in tongues of men and of angels. And there may be some truth we don't know but what happened is in the corinthian church their speaking in tongues was very self-centered it was very showy and speaking they were speaking in tongues all the time as we understand it it'd be like me getting up instead of speaking to you in english that i would come up and speak in my prayer language and if i were to do that this morning and if i just you know was speaking in a prayer language with no interpretation you'd say what in the world's going on wouldn't you I hope you would. And what was happening is that the Corinthians were doing that all the while while they believed that they were impressing other people around. So not only was it not understandable, but they thought they were doing something that was a higher level of spirituality. So Paul writes 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. And in chapter 14, really kind of boils it down to two ideas. Number one, the gifts need to be understandable. And then we're going to see next week that the gifts need to be done in order. Amen? 
All right, I want you to stand. We're going to read chapter 14 together. And uh, last week we uh, tackled the first five verses, uh, the advice or the benefits of the language of tongues. And uh, really the entire chapter deals with the liability of tongues, um, that we need to be aware, that we need to be careful, that there is some liability when tongues are used. And uh, some would say when they read chapter 14 uh, that there are liabilities, therefore we shouldn't use the gift of tongues or interpretation Instead, just prophecy. And even in some Pentecostal churches, um, they would rather not have the gift of tongues because of the liabilities. But this idea would be the farthest thing from Paul's mind. Paul's not saying that he would not encourage tongues. The concern was for the unbeliever or the new Christian among them who would not understand And I just want to say, before we read this, that uh, we believe that if God is here, right? Because some people think, okay, well, if there are gifts of tongues or people hear someone speaking in tongues, it'll really freak out a guest, right? Uh, I'm not sure I'm going to bring someone to my Pentecostal church because that'll freak them out and then they're going to think I'm crazy, right? Listen, God is more concerned about the unbeliever than you are. And if it's the Lord which we're the ones that need to discern that and help and to, to use uh, to, to be judging these things. If, but if it's God, God knows what he's doing. And if it's God, we want it, amen? And we want to experience it. If the Lord's in it, you don't have to be afraid, amen? All right, okay, chapter 14. Uh, I don't think we have the first few verses, uh, so... Ethan, just uh, pick up on uh, verse 6 once I get there. But I want to read 1 through 5 as well, because we'll see it in context. It says, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speak to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church may be edified. Now new information. Now, brothers, I come to you and speak in tongues, or if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of, the, of lifeless things that make sounds, such as a flute or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless it, 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 there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? It, so it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, None of them, yet none of them uh, is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of something I, is, uh, what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and he is a foreigner to me. So it is with you, since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. Verse 13, for this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, and I will also sing with my mind. 
If you are praising God with your spirit, how can one who finds himself among those who do not understand say amen to your thanksgiving since he does not know what you are saying? You may be giving thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified. Verse 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, stop thinking like children. I, in regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. In the law it is written, through, uh, through men of strange tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, but even them, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues, then, are a sign, not for the believers, but for the unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for believers, not for unbelievers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in the tongue, uh, in tongues, and someone who does not understand or have some unbelieving unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if, you un, uh, but if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while uh, someone is prophesying, he will be convinced by all that, is, that he is a sinner and will be judged by all, and the secrets of his heart will be laid bare. So he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Now, there's a big portion of Scripture here, and we're going to uh, take our time getting through this. We're, we'll get through here before... One o'clock today, I promise. I'm saying with both services. But, um, uh, but let's pray and ask the Lord to uh, anoint his word and help it to be revealed to each and every one of us. Lord, we thank you for this day. I thank you for your word that is so powerful and effective. God, help us to track through these verses in a timely matter, but Lord, help it to be meaningful, help there to be understanding, maybe where there's been uh, a lack of understanding, and help there to be faith, God, to trust your word in these areas. We give you the praise, we give you all the glory, in God's wonderful name, and everyone said, amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. Let's just start with verse 6. Let's look what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Verse 6 says, Now, brothers, it could be brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? What I want you to notice here is a couple things. At this moment, Paul, he brings the attention to himself, and he will do this several times through these verses. Number one, he, so he's illustrating by a personal illustration. And he's talking about speaking in tongues. He says, if I speak in tongues, which I would say is the prayer language with no interpretation. If he came, and like I just mentioned earlier, if he came before the congregation and just spoke in tongues with no interpretation, the point is, is that no one would understand. And his point is there would be no value in that verse 6. Verse 7, then he goes on to illustrate for the next few verses three simple illustrations to kind of bring this understanding to, uh, to, to their mind. It says in verse 7, even in the case of lifeless things that sound, that make sounds, such as the flute or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there's a distinction in the notes? This is interesting that he illustrates it in this way. Uh, how many of you have played an instrument before? All right. 
hopefully all of us, or maybe you sing by yourself, right? That kind of thing. Well, listen, when someone is first learning to play an instrument, how many know that it's painful sometimes, right? I mean, very few people are just natural prodigies and can sit down and play or, or whatever the instrument might be. It is somewhat irritating because they're learning the notes. Someone playing random sounds does not bring anyone any musical or aesthetic benefit. How many would agree? That's why composers take time to arrange their music, putting notes together and the right tempo and the right volume. Otherwise, it's just noise. And Paul's saying in the same way, if, as it's just noise if everyone just did their own thing with their instruments. It wouldn't make sense. It would be painful, irritating. The same is true if I were to speak in tongues with no interpretation. He continues in verse 8 with a second illustration. He says, again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? The idea here is that a trumpet or a bugler would, would send out a call a call to charge, right, or a call to retreat in battle. And if the bugler was weak and, you know, had a, you know, didn't have a clear sound, the, the army would wonder, which way do we go? Or do we go at all? And it would be disastrous. The point is, the communication needs to be clear. In verse 9, I love it, it goes on, he says, so it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Very interesting. Here, it's not meaning that tongues are not important. In fact, he brings the point to, to home uh, in verse 16. Look at it. It says, if you are praising God with your spirit, so in other words, uh, praying in tongues, how can anyone find himself among you, the, uh, those who do not understand, say amen to your thanksgiving since he doesn't know what you're saying? Pretty clear. Saying if you're speaking in a different language, in a heavenly language, how can anyone that doesn't understand that agree and say amen to that? The point is they can't. They need to understand in that public setting. Verse 10 goes on. It says this, Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. It's interesting as you study this verse um, that all languages have meaning. A language by definition is a method of communication spoken or written. And what's interesting is that there are, uh, some scholars say, uh, over 3,000 languages in the world, there have been 3,000. Only 600 are spoken by kids today. That means that over 2,400 languages are extinct. But what the Bible is saying, what God's Word is saying, is that each of those languages, even if they're not, they're not being utilized, they are not without meaning. God knows what they're meaning, right? And that's important. Verse 11, continue. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what is being said, I'm a foreigner to the speaker and he is a foreigner to me. The idea here is that there are foreign languages uh, and I've, I've experienced this all over the world that if I step into a situation off the plane in Africa last year at this time and, uh, and I, I'm in an African country and they're speaking Swahili or some other African dialect, I have no idea what they're saying. I can pick up a little of their body language, and they can do the same for me, but we are not communicating at a high level. And the idea here, what Paul is saying up to this point, he's saying, look, there's a principle of understanding. 
God's word, God's gifts need to be understood in a corporate context. And that is crystal clear. Now Paul begins to apply that principle in verse 12. Look what it says. It says, so it is with you. Since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. I want you to note a couple things. Paul is not condemning them for being desirous of spiritual gifts. That's that's important to see. The point, though, is in worship, that worship context, it's not for your personal edification. It's not just what you get out of a worship experience, which is really somewhat of an American way uh, coming of consumerism uh, when it comes to the church. The issue is, are you building someone up within the context of corporate worship? Verse 13 For this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he would interpret what he says. So if there is a message in tongues demanding the attention of the congregation, it's very clear it needs to be interpreted. And then, in verse 14, he brings another personal example. Look what it says. For if I pray in a tongue, and my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful, In verse 15, so what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, and I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind. Again here, I want you to notice, this is not a derogatory uh, context in the the Greek. Uh, He's not dissing the idea of tongues by any means. He's acknowledging a spiritual truth to the Corinthian church. Now, some people get hung up here. They say, well, I don't know what's going on. If I speak in a language I don't understand, how does that work? Well, we understand that God, he can touch our hearts, and by faith, we will speak in a language that's previously unknown, right? And it bypasses the cortex of our brain. We do not have to understand what we are saying in a private context. And in verse 15, we see that Paul says that this is what I will do. This is what I'll say. This is what I'll do. By the way, there's no doubt that Paul was committed to this type of of experience. Paul's life was marked by personal devotion given to praying and singing and praising in tongues. That is clear, especially when you look at verse 18. And I want to stop here just for a moment and just kind of challenge us in our thinking. No matter what kind of background we're from, I want to challenge you that if you are not spirit-filled in the sense that we're talking this morning, you ought to seek it. You ought to ask the Lord for that. And if you have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and a prayer language, you ought to be walking in it on a daily basis. Paul says, follow my example earlier in Corinthians. And I believe he would say the same in this area. And he says, look, I do it all the time. It builds him up. But he says, pray with your mind as well. Don't just disengage. Pray in your spirit and with your understanding. And the combination, church, is absolutely powerful. Verse 16, let's continue. 
Um, I love this. In verse 16, if you are praising God with your spirit, how can one who finds himself among those who do not understand say amen to your thanksgiving since he does not know what you are saying? The point is, is don't put people in an awkward situation. Don't put those that are around you in an awkward situation. This is why we teach and we kind of teach around the gifts. And when they're utilized in the service, we often will say, hey, we acknowledge that this is from God's word. Sometimes we'll take the God, God's word, open it up, and kind of share in those different areas. And the issue here in verse 17, you may be given thanks well enough, which is what uh, praying in your prayer language is. It's speaking to God. We talked about that last week. It says you could be giving thanks to God, but the other person is not edified. In fact, he, what it, the point is in the context as a whole is that it could be confusing to the person that doesn't understand or an unbeliever in that context. The issue is edification, the building up of the saints, the building up of the church, and it must be understandable. That's what God's trying to get across, I believe, in these verses. I hope you're tracking with me. Verse 18 and 19, let's read those together. It says this, but I thank, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in tongues. This is very interesting to me. Uh, Paul is bringing correction on this topic of tongues. And we get that. He's, he's helping the Corinthian church to grow, and he's bringing some correction. But then uses this strong language and what's interesting, some commentators say, who is more surprised, us as readers today, or do you think the Corinthians were more surprised? And most, most uh, commentators say the Corinthians, when they would have read that, they would have been uh, flabbergasted. They would have been in awe that Paul would have said something like that. And Fee says this, that Paul is both defending his own status with regard to their criterion, the gift of tongues, and rejecting their use of it all in the same context. And the result would have been a bombshell to the, to the Corinthian church. Paul is affirming their gift, yes, in the strongest way. He's bringing a personal example saying, look, I experienced this, I encourage this, but he is going to reorder their thinking around the gift so it can be understandable. So the question is, and I think this is an important question for us to get our minds around, can someone pray in the Spirit inside of church? Or is it all supposed to be at home in a private uh, setting? We talked last week that there are two, two ways, right? There's a public and then a private. Well, when we say private, what that means is that it is not demanding the attention of, uh, of those around you. And so we would believe that, yes, in the corporate setting, you can pray in the Spirit during praise and worship or during a prayer time. You can pray and, and pray in your prayer language, and we would encourage that. But if it's going to demand the attention of the church, be ready to interpret. Otherwise, turn the volume down. Does that make sense? And that's important for you to realize. It's important for me to realize. And we, we do. We get that. It's common sense in some ways for the spirit-filled believer to have etiquette in that way. And Paul brings a high value to tongues, and private tongues in particular. And today, uh, it's, 
we would want to bring a high value to that personal tongue, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When we look at Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses. We talked about it last week. This the unprecedented uh, advancement of the gospel in history, the last hundred years or a little over a hundred years, has been fueled by spirit-filled believers. And that is no coincidence. God uses when uh, his gifts, and in particular, the gift of tongues, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, fuels a desire to reach out. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. and you'll, You will. It doesn't say you might, or you could be, or it might, you know, it's possible. No, you will be my witness in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, to the outer, uh, most parts of the world. And so that's why we think it's so important for us to understand. Let's continue. Let's look at verse 20. Very interesting verse. Some people look at this and it doesn't seem to make sense. Uh, but really, the idea here is he's saying, look, think like adults. He's saying, look, I'm helping you along. But he kind of says it in an unusual way. Verse 20 says, brothers, stop thinking like children, right? Stop being selfish. Stop being immature. Stop, uh, you know, your spiritual abuse, right? In regards to evil, be infants, right? We shouldn't be having our hands in, in, uh, in things that are evil or uh, from the enemy. But in your thinking, be adults. He's helping them. He's saying, hey, come on, let's grow up. Let's understand this in a full context. Let's utilize these gifts in a proper fashion. And what he's saying is they need to be understandable. And then he uses the Old Testament. He says in the law, verse 21, that it is written, through men of strange tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, and, but even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. And uh, some people get to this and it's like, what? Where does that come from? Well, what's happening is uh, Paul is applying the previous principle of understanding and now he's going to apply that to unbelievers. And Paul's concern is really, in this whole context, is for those that don't understand or those that are unbelievers. And he really ties 21 and 22 together. Let's read 22. It says, Tongues then are a sign not for believers, but for the unbelievers. And then he goes on. Prophecy, however, is for believers, not for the unbelievers. And what's interesting is Paul takes and uses Isaiah chapter 28, verses 11 and 12, uh, which is, in effect, uh, an effort to explain that centuries earlier, the Lord had predicted that one day he would use men speaking in other tongues as a sign to an unbelieving Israel. And by the way, the Israelites did not respond. They would not listen. So tongues, assigned to the unbelieving Israel, Paul quotes Isaiah's a word of warning to Judah of the judgment from Assyria that would be coming through men that would speak in, in other tongues. And Israel rejected Isaiah's words. Very interesting. And you can read that in context in Isaiah. Now you fast forward to the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, verses 3 through 12. Now it's the day of Pentecost. And the Jews, what Paul's saying, should have known that when they heard other tongues in that setting, that first, when the Holy Spirit came down, they spoke in other tongues. When, when they heard those tongues, it was a sign at that point to unbelievers to repent. That they were hearing 
them praise in their own language. It was a sign for them to repent, and 3,000 people did that day. And so the, the Spirit of God was fulfilling those things. But verse 22, that kind of connects with that, it's, it's very interesting. It says that it kind of, as it follows up, so it says, look, this is what's going to happen. Israel, it rejected, would not listen to me. Tongues, then, are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. The idea is that tongues is a sign for unbelievers. The point is that believers, you know, those that are under, they're the ones that understand what's going on. Therefore, tongues are not meant as a sign for believers. But Paul is saying it's for the unbeliever. And Paul is saying if the unbelievers don't understand, in context of understanding, if they don't get it, they will not respond to a salvation call. Unbelievers will be judged, and that's why the communication is so critical. It needs to be understandable in context. In contrast, goes on, prophecy is for believers, right? So it says prophecy, however, is for believers, not for unbelievers. The idea is that prophecy is for believers. It's a gift for edification. It, in uh, Some of your versions might say it's a sign for unbelievers. And uh, actually, that's a, a bad, uh, it's not a really a correct way to use that. The, the parallels are not there. Uh, the idea here is that unbelievers do not prophesy. Believers do, right? So prophecy is for believers. And then in verse 23, he starts to wrap up his thoughts. He says, so... If the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues, that's in their own prayer language, demanding the attention of others, but no interpretation, right? And some who do not understand, and that word there is uh, an inquirer or could be a new believer, someone new to the faith, right? If someone that does not understand or some unbeliever come in, will they not say that you're out of their mind? And that's pretty clear. They'd say, look, you're crazy. There's chaos here. No one's, what's going on? What's happening here? There's no order, which we'll talk about next week. Verse 24, uh, like he continues, but if an unbeliever is, or someone who does not understand comes in and everybody is prophesying, he will be convinced by all that he is a sinner and will be judged by all and the secrets of his heart will be laid bare. So he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among us. Now, prophecy is from God to the body. The point there is that an unbeliever will understand, and something will change in their heart. The Holy Spirit will be at work, and salvation and repentance will be evident or eminent. Wow. Isn't that exciting? That's what the gifts are intended to be. And I know that we've gone through these verses, 20-something verses, very quickly. But I pray this morning for a couple takeaways that, that you can kind of latch on to. And I want to share those quickly. And then we're going to pray. And we're going to ask the Lord uh, to, to continue to strengthen us. And Pastor Bobby, you can come. The first takeaway for me as I've been sitting with this and praying and asking the Lord for insight, is I want you to remember the purpose of tongues. The purpose of the baptism in the Holy Spirit is to build you up. And I would say, church, 
that if I was sitting one-on-one with anyone here, I would say that you need this gift. And I want to encourage you to be praying in the Spirit, to utilize this gift in your life. The transforming work of the Holy Spirit is absolutely powerful. And I want to encourage you that if you have been filled with the Holy Spirit, to utilize that. And if you have not experienced that gift in that way, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, to ask the Lord to seek it and to worship God and by faith step out. The second thing is, the second takeaway is I look at the context here, is that within a worship setting, that when we're together, the priority is to build up the church. And I want to say this, that what God calls us to do when we gather should be less about what I get and more about what I can give. And my guess is most people at some time or another, you'll show up to church and be like, well, you know, that was, that was just average or I didn't get a whole lot from that. And that's tragic. Because when you show up to church and say, what can I give? Or how can I be a blessing? It changes everything. And I want to encourage you to start coming to church with an expectation, how can I strengthen others around me? And I believe if your focus is, is in that area, God will help you with the spiritual gifts to make that a reality. And you'll see the gifts at work in your life like you've never seen before, if that's your priority. The gifts are to build up the church. Through the Holy Spirit, people can come to Jesus. Amen? Say, how important is this? The third takeaway for me, and I want you to sit with the weight of the reality of this, is that people's lives are on the line. And the importance of us to understand His Word, to understand what He wants from us, cannot be underestimated. People will know and respond to a genuine move of God. When God is there, it'll be undeniable. And that's what we want. We want God to be in it. Week in and week out. I would say day in and day out. For God to be at work in our lives. And I believe that even this morning, God wants to work in our lives. And it's very possible that there are some here this morning that are here and do not know Jesus as your personal Savior. If you were to die today, you would say, man, I don't know if I'd go to heaven or if I'd go to hell. And this morning, we're going to give you that opportunity to surrender your life to Jesus in just a moment. The other thing, the other takeaway for me is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, to seek that or to utilize that. And I want to encourage you to be seeking that along with the gift, all the gifts to be at work, to build up the body. And so with your head bowed and eyes closed this morning, I want you to take a good look on the inside. And the first question is really for those that have never responded to Jesus or have never, or maybe have responded at one time, but you're not serving God today. And this morning, 
I would declare the word of the Lord is that today is the day of salvation. There's no reason to walk in this life without that intimate, powerful relationship with Jesus. So if you're here this morning, you say, man, that's where I am. I need Jesus to save me. I don't care who you are, how long you've been coming to this church, what other people think. If you're here and you don't know Jesus or you need to get your life right with God, would you just raise your hand? I want to pray for you. I'm going to ask the Lord that would touch you, administer to you through the power of His Holy Spirit. Is there anyone at all? Just raise your hand. won't embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. But if you're here today, you don't know Jesus. With your head, continue to be bowed, eyes closed. No one, no one responded to a salvation call. But I do believe that the Holy Spirit, through the power and uh, just the foolishness of preaching, I believe has captured some people's hearts today. And that there is a desire growing in you to utilize the gift of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues and the other gifts in general. And if you're here this morning, you're saying, Pastor, I desire that in my life. I want everything that God has for me. I want to be utilized in these gift, gifts and in, in these areas. I want you just, by a show of hands, just raise your hand as well, saying that is my desire to be used by God in that way. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Let's stand together and I'm going to pray. And then the altars will be open. And I want to encourage you to, to, to come, and those that are hungry, to pray. We've got some time before second service to spend in the presence of God and just to be able to seek Him and to, to ask the Lord uh, to fill you once again. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, God, for hungry hearts. Hungry hearts that are desiring a move of your spirit. Lord, that there would be a sense that you are in control, that you are working, God, in our lives, day in and day out. And Lord, I pray for those that raise their hands and maybe those that didn't, God, that are saying, I am curious about these gifts or I desire to be used in these gifts. I desire everything you have, Lord. I pray that you would pour out your power, that you'd pour out your spirit, and Lord, that it would be just overwhelming, God, your presence in our lives. And God, we just desire that. We seek that. For your glory, for your honor, we pray it in Jesus' name. And so now, Lord, as we'll leave here in the next few moments, I pray that you'd go before us, behind us, and all around us. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before you leave, I'm just going to ask that you'd raise your hands to the Lord. And I'm just going to ask that just in your own way, Lord, that, the, that you would speak to the Lord, maybe in tongues, maybe in, in the English, but in your own way, I want you to pray. I want you to pray fervently that the Lord would work in your life this week, that there would be opportunities for God to touch you 
And if you are asking the Lord for the, for the baptism in the Holy Spirit, just be remembered that it's not about the speaking in tongues. It's about the seeking God. It's your praising and your prayer to God. And as you do that, you just release by faith those words that will come. And, and God will walk with you. He will help you every step of the way. With your hands raised, let's just declare the goodness of God. Lord, we thank you, God. We praise your holy name. God, we bless you, Lord. We, Holy Spirit, you are welcome in my life, in our lives. You are welcome here in this place, God. You are free to move here in this place. Help us, God, to grow in our understanding. Help us to grow in our faith, God. Oh, Holy Spirit. Pour out your power. Pour out your plan in us. Help us, Lord, to be most effective, God, I pray. And God will give you the praise, give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, God. We bless you, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to say one other thing before we dismiss officially. This week, my father-in-law uh, sent me a, a message, and uh, he doesn't do that very often, but he sent me a message uh, with a link to an article um, about revival, about uh, the presence of God. And uh, the author of the article, and I'm going to summarize, and not, I won't do it justice, it's a great article to read, but uh, really talked about how... Um, these days, these in the church today, in many cases, uh, that there is a, a coldness or a, just a, a lack of intensity uh, within the church. And uh, he said something very interesting, that through the power of the Holy Spirit, when God is really at work and that the Spirit is working among the church, that one of the signs is a true repentance, um, a deep repentance of just understanding your position according to God's holiness, that just that there's a, there's a, a total disconnect in, in many, many ways. And I just want to challenge my, myself, and I want to challenge the body, that as you seek the Lord... He is going to reveal areas that are unpleasing, that are, that are needing to be cleaned up. And he does this. He does it with love. It's not like he's with a hammer waiting to pound on you. But my guess is, is in all of our lives, there are areas that we've allowed, maybe that we wouldn't have allowed at one point. And there's, there needs to be a deep concern about our holiness and that's part of the work of the Holy Spirit. That's why it's so important for unbelievers to, for it to be understandable so there can be a drawing, a realization of the repentance that's needed. But it's not just for unbelievers. It's for believers that love God to be purified, to be holy. In church, I need that. And my guess is, is you need that as well. So I want to close with a, a prayer, a prayer of repentance.
And I want, at the end, we'll sing through the song one more time, and then we've got to make a transition to second service. I understand that. But I want you to search your own heart. And as you are seeking God this morning, in whatever way that you've deemed appropriate, this morning I believe God wants to breathe on you a desire to be holy, to be pure, to be in right standing. And over this next week, or even this afternoon, there are going to be things that will be revealed And you'll need to just say, God, I'm sorry. And there needs to be a purification. A cleaning up. And I want you to know it starts right here with your leader. Let's pray. Lord, we understand that in light of your holiness, there's no possible way that we could even come close in our own strength to be good enough to stand in your presence. But Lord, we understand that you clothe us in righteousness. You cover our sin. And you look at us as if we have never sinned. And God, we don't deserve that. And then, Lord, as we grow, God, you show us areas, God. You reveal things to tweak and to change and to, to, to uh, modify in our lives. And God, I pray that there would be a sensitivity to your presence, and to your power at work inside of us. And as we seek your spirit, as we seek to build up the church, God, I pray that we would be marked with a repentance, with a hunger and a desire to be in your presence, to know you completely, that there would be nothing that would keep us from you. And God, I pray that it would just resound in our hearts, that it would be evident in our lives to the point that others are saying, God, what what has happened in so-and-so's life? What's happened in Pastor Ben's life? God, I desire that. A deep move of your presence and your power. Holy Spirit, have your way. Holy Spirit, have your way. In Jesus' name. Let's sing it one more time.